So uh, first of all, um, I'd like to welcome all our viewers and listeners to yet another edition of uh, Offside Musings podcast. Uh, it's my delight to be joined again today by my um, co-host, co-host yeah. uh, Emeka. Oh, oh uh, um, punching bag or something. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever watch no, J- Jimmy, no, Jimmy Kimmel, no. um, he has this, um, what do you call him? Um, what's that guy's name? Um, the guy he kicks he around. A, he has a side, yeah. Side yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so it's it's a solemn moment uh, in Nigeria, and I think I'd like to make, if you don't mind, I'd oh, yeah, like to sure. make an opening yeah, um, definitely. Uh, statement. So about a year ago, um, Nigerian youth, uh, most of them students, uh, in cities across the country, um, not just students, but youth uh, in the country, uh, got together uh, in pursuit of a common goal. That goal was to um, compel the government of President Mohamedou Buhari to abolish uh, the SARS, the special anti-robbery squad uh, in the country, a special unit of the Nigerian police force that had been given the task uh, years before of combating armed robbery as well as other violent crimes uh, in, in the country. Um, but as often happens in Nigeria, uh, the SARS unit quickly devolved into a criminal unit of its own. Uh, they began to um, brutalize Nigerians, especially law-abiding Nigerians. Um, they began to kidnap, uh, to extort, um, to maim, and indeed uh, on numerous occasions to kill um, their victims. And so Nigerian youth had had enough. And so throughout the country, uh, they gathered um, in city after city, uh, holding uh, protests, uh, demanding the abolition of this execrable um, uh, unit of the Nigerian police force. And that movement was called End SARS. Um, it went on for about two weeks. In those two weeks, the youth of Nigeria showed us, the world, as well as Nigerians, what is possible when uh, purpose is tied to, uh, to passion and tied to uh, just a drive to achieve a noble cause. Uh, this young man got and women got together every day. They bore witness to the atrocities committed by the SARS unit. Um, they provided damning indictment of the crimes that the police, um, which are supposed to fight crimes, had indeed perpetrated throughout the country. Um, and they were clear in their messaging 
what they wanted. What was quite impressive about that movement, as I've been um, touching upon, is that it was led exclusively by young people. Um, they formulated their demands. They, and they did this in a very democratic spirit. Um, they organized the protests, uh, made them nonviolent. They provided for food and nourishment for participants in this. They indeed took care of um, the uh, downtrodden that they came across on streets. Uh, those of them who, um, for one reason or another, uh, fell sick, uh, were treated by those in their number who were medical uh, personnel. And, so you, and then at the end of every day, in city after city, this uh, youth cleaned up after themselves. Um, it was a wonderful moment for uh, both for the importance of uh, their mission to end police brutality, uh, but also for the method that they employed in doing this, the way in which indeed they made the point that in a country that is 64% where uh, the youth population under 20-something, uh, the, demogra the, uh, the demographic is about 64% of the country. So Nigeria is indeed a youthful uh, nation. The tragedy, of course, is that the country is run and has been misruled uh, really since its founding, mostly by gerontocratic politicians. And so here were the young people giving us a sense of what is possible if they could seize uh, the momentum in the country and seize um, the, the levers of power. Uh, in, in Nigeria. Um, beautiful moment, a moment of great commitment, of great passion. Um, but it ended quite quickly, uh, suddenly and violently, almost predictably. Um, I think that what happened was that the movement was so successful that the government and the elite that had misled the country for decades were indeed frightened at what these young men and women were showcasing of their vision, of their commitment, um, their um, advocacy for a different Nigeria. That in order to forestall the uh, deepening of this kind of vision of a, of a country um, which is possible uh, in Nigeria that the government came out with excessive force and in city after city um, a lot of the protesters were killed uh, many of them were maimed and uh, quite a few of them were arrested and some of them have not been accounted for um, even a year later. And so on this anniversary of that uh, but beautiful 
uh, chapter in Nigeria's history, uh, which ended rather tragically. I think that it's important that we reflect on the imperative of young Nigerians um, recognizing the power that they have, the power that they have in numbers, uh, the powers that they have if they would uh, take principled positions uh, uh, on political questions, especially uh, in elections. I think that uh, sadly Nigerian youth uh, are of often um, divided by politicians in using their um, accustomed rules of divide and conquer. Uh, and that these politicians use such shibboleths as ethnicity, uh, state of origin, religion, sectarian divide uh, to keep these um, young people in different brackets. And I think that the challenge going forward, uh, especially as Nigeria uh, moves toward um, the next elections, major general elections in 2023, is to uh, challenge the, these youth to um, summon the same kind of um, commitment, the same kind of clear-sighted vision, um, the same kind of passion that enabled them to launch this uh, noble and indeed uh, impressive and admirable movement that they should uh, activate the same kind of consciousness and sensibility in order to ensure that the country begins to get um, a modicum of leadership that understands um, what leadership is about and indeed that Nigeria will rise to the task of the constitutional changes that are necessary as well as the immediate changes in personnel and vision um, that can lead to uh, to a different country. So that's um, sort of what uh, some of the grounds for the conversation uh, that um, Emeka and I are going to have today uh, on this podcast, uh, Offside Musings. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, we look forward to um, to today's conversation. To that man, that was that was um, um, I think all, all week um, it was um, in some cases in, in most cases it was touching to see um, people express their feelings about um, um, I think it's ten ten twenty I think if I'm not wrong the exact date that's what that that's mm-hmm. the slogan yeah you know it was very um, touching to see. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, mostly Nigerians, I, I would say, but a lot of people expressing their um, their feelings about um, this thing. So you know, it, it's I don't know. Uh, I had different comments. Uh, we're going to talk about that, touching about what happened last last year. Um, I think the fact that even the you you know, it's kind of ironic. Um, you know, first things first, it was you know the fact that even the majority of um, the um, crimes that were, I call, I, I call them crimes, mm-hmm. even though it hasn't been declared 
so, as such. Yeah, by know. the law courts and all. Yeah. <laughs> There's no um, real investigation. Um, and it was pretty emblematic when we saw the, the minister, I've forgotten Fashola, I've forgotten uh, his portfolio, where they made the meme of him walking around the gates and, you know, looking around. You know, I, you know, as if he was as if he was looking for evidence that mm. something happened mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and one year later obviously nothing has happened um you know you just gave your thoughts on that and the way people are that's the Lagos state governor yes was it shawulu okay sorry i thought it was yeah. fashion shawulu came shawulu came came in and was um acting like a deep deep investigation yeah that's you know I mean it's it's uh, it's it's um, a familiar scene in Nigeria, isn't it? That um, when the state commits crimes, um, there's all this promise that um, the perpetrators of this crime are gonna be uh, found out and uh, held to account. But we know it's all for sure. Uh, that when uh, state governments or the federal government in Nigeria sets up commissions of inquiry to look into uh, criminality or misconduct on the part of government officials, uh, law enforcement, uh, that is simply uh, a tactic, a strategy for deflection. They just want uh, to create enough remove from the moment of provocation so that people will forget, sort of. And Nigeria is, of course, uh, a serially... Uh, provocative uh, um, I mean a a country that witnesses serial provocations uh, so that people in the end quickly forget but it's important that students are making the point uh, that the young people who staged and uh, orchestrated that great movement NSAS are saying to uh, to the country's leadership we haven't forgotten and we're not about to forget yeah yeah um, I don't know where that's going to end up I had all kinds of conversations about people should get politically active I don't know the efficacy of that in Nigeria mm-hmm. um, you know I think it's at the point where elections are literally almost um, impossible to win well um, I don't think they're impossible to win I think that What's happened in Nigeria is several factors. First of all is that uh, most young men and women in the country um, uh, are fighting for their daily survival. Uh, The unemployment rates in Nigeria are off the charts, okay? Most people who finish college do not have jobs. Forget if you just did secondary school. Okay, so most graduates of polytechnics, colleges of education, universities in Nigeria end up not having jobs. And so years ago, um, uh, there was this phenomenon in Nigeria where um, um, when you asked a graduate, what are you doing? They used to say, I'm unemployed, I'm looking for a job. But after a while, it it struck them that there were no jobs to be found. And so people began to answer, I'm on my own. And so if you finished college, if you were begging your uncles and aunts for money to survive, you said, I'm on my own. 
if you've if you've been forced to turn into prostitution, you know, um, sort of sophisticated sophist uh, prostitution in order to pay your bills. You say you're on your own. If you've taken to cyber crimes, you're on your own. If you've taken to just hustling on the streets or at the airport or something, you're on your own. So Nigerians are actually a very inventive people. But to get back to the point, uh, there's a certain structural dislocation within the Nigerian system where um, graduates are not getting jobs and so sadly a lot of them then feel a certain apathy politically but I think that that's part of the power of the NSAS movement that we saw for the first time the kind of energy and the kind of vision that was possible when that sleeping giant of youthful energy and power and vision was unleashed in the country. And I think that that's ultimately what so frightened the government that they said, we have to end this brutally because this could have evolved into uh, a force that would have sanitized the entire Nigerian system and they had to stop it. So yes, um, Unfortunately, a lot of young people have fallen prey to this um, idea that we are Hausa or Igbo or Yoruba or Efik or Fufulde or Anang first uh, and Nigerians second or that we are Muslims or Christians or animists first before we are Nigerians. And so politicians... Um, who tend to be old people, who tend to be uh, uh, bereft of ideas, uh, have learned that they can manipulate the electorate, this youthful electorate in the country, by uh, offering them this um, playing up their ethnic and religious and, and other differences. And I think that... Um, the challenge for young people, and I think that that's part of why this podcast for me is particularly important and powerful, is that I and we intend to focus on talking to young people, okay? To recognize you have the power. Don't let anybody tell you different. You have the power. Um, and I remember one of the, uh, for me, one of the most beautiful things that happened with the NSAS movements was that some established politicians came into the, uh, the movement, uh, the protest, and they wanted to speak. And students, uh, the, the youth said, no, you get down. We speak for ourselves. We write our own press releases. We raise our money. We're not accepting your donations and so on. Um, and so that kind of energy is still possible, and I hope that they will activate it. Yeah, it's very interesting. A few things that you said. So it is to me very interesting that um, it's true that people um, uh, put aside two, two things, essentially. People put aside um, ethnic difference. And when I say ethnic, I don't mean it in a good way because I think um, ethnic nationalism, ethnic identities are fantastic things, are, are things that people should have. Mm -hmm. um, however, in the Nigerian, West African, and African context, 
it ends up more often than not being a weapon, a cordial, a a, a distant for genocide. And I'm going to make those two points and then come up to uh, the, the third part of that is 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 you know you had a lot of people who for the first time they they for, for the first time in maybe forever they sat down and they were a, young people were in a position where those kind of it didn't mean you are not who you are because you you are forever who you are and you should be but most people it, it those kind of ethnic uh, superiority ethnic um, supremacy those kind of you know ethnic um, fighting ethnic national fighting like, that is very every second normal in nigeria didn't take place was did it wasn't even present for the longest period i think right. up until you know people pulled out guns and those kind of things it wasn't even present um and most countries when you look at it most countries that grew exponentially when you go back in history people tell you especially in this day and age about rugged capitalism and all those things you no know, most of the time it was more of socialistic tendencies and i'm saying this for a reason if you go back to the um uh, 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 days uh the 50s the 40s there was more of a socialistic streak all these people are people who uh, benefited from different schooling this thing up on even till the 70s you know schooling incentives mm-hmm. sending mm-hmm. people abroad and then now for the most part these are the people holding the wealth in the country mm-hmm. So you have people who are looking at their their older 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 brothers in their fifties, who maybe most like in in more more likely than not didn't get a better job, mm-hmm. um, didn't get much, or you know, and doesn't have doesn't even have a home, doesn't have wealth, doesn't have. They are all waiting for daddy to die, mm-hmm. let them all go. And some of them are living there with their wife, kids, even grandkids. I've seen it's very common in in this thing, you, you know, living in the one house. Everybody's you know demarcating and and jostling already because for the most part it hasn't there's this now all these guys have that all these people who benefited from um socialistic programs sending people to school um as it even as it was waning mm-hmm. um you know um and that's one reason why and like i say as in the course of this part we'll, we'll get into this call that's one reason why you go to the southwest love the southwestern people reverse somebody like awola who was outrightly socialistic in his tendencies abuba karimi cut across to a lot of people uh with his prp he too was you know very socialistic in his in his approach uh to, to a lot of things and a lot of people benefited from those things mm-hmm. and now you have a whole generation of people who it's absolute like rugged capital. That to me is another mm-hmm. dimension to it. And they're all looking at it and it's like, damned if you do, damned if yeah. you don't. Your only way out is maybe to go to Europe and get a good job and then maybe you build some wealth um, or go to America or go to Australia, whichever country it is. If you stay in Nigeria, your chances are slim to none. Mm-hmm. That was one major thing. Um, uh, you, know, I was, uh, you know, that was the second major thing I was talking about. It's ironic when you even go back. The last thing I was even going to, but but that's something we should go into. But the last thing, that it's ironic that um, some of the some of the people who also, but it also ties into my earlier point. Some of the people who also handled the situation in terms of announcements and stuff like that are descendants of people who had a checkered history. And I'm speaking to, yeah, talking of the politicians you spoke about, but even people like. I was surprised to find, um, I mean, we could get into it, um, uh, Ibrahim Taiwo's son. For those who don't know Ibrahim Taiwo, um, he's 
was the Nigerian of um, military personnel. I just called them personnel. I don't, even, I, don't think, I don't think Nigeria has ever had a military, to be honest. Um, and after the six-six coup, I think it's just been a, a militia. That's my own. That's what I call it. Just a bunch of militia people jumping up and down. And we could get into. We will get into that as well, yeah. eventually. Um, but you know, Ibrahim Taiwo was at the forefront of um, mass ethnic cleansing, at the very least. Uh, matter how you put it specifically hunting and targeting down people from ethnicities over the course of a couple of years um he was at the forefront of that and him to me like if you go back to marital mohammed who also was at the forefront of that even though at the end of his life mm. uh people look at him in, in in a very some people a lot of people look at him in a nostalgic way because of the way he died but Mer, uh, you know, Brian Tao ends up being you know that that person we could go with you know, but Brian Tao's son is the one that comes out and um, handles the press conference. I think some people might not, but you're talking of the Asaba massacre. Mm. You're talking of you, this man was at the forefront of all these events. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking of a guy like that. Yeah. So to me, it was like, wow, you know. But you know, not to take away from what we're talking about generally, was the fact that young people. At the losing end, and that's the point mm-hmm. I'm trying to make. At mm-hmm. losing end, and even when the government was responding to to them, they were still responding with, and they still have been responding as hard as hard hard handed as they seem to possibly mm-hmm. be able to think about. Mm-hmm. So, th- those were two things. Those were three, two things I wanted to point out. Last, just you know, point uh, just looking at the whole distance of of. of uh, and that's just there are a lot of things we could point out about the NSAS protest but I think it was it was massive it was mm-hmm. everywhere it was multi mm-hmm. Um, even if we can argue about what the true Nigerian means mm-hmm. there was a unity of purpose mm-hmm. amongst people mm-hmm. there was a unity of purpose at the end of the day you want the best for yourself your family and mm-hmm. this thing mm-hmm. and, and if you have a state that is, seems to be hell bent Mm-hmm. of making sure you never get yeah so i mean the points uh, you've made uh, you've put quite a few points on uh, right there on the plate um just to take the question of ibrahim taiwo's son um <laughs> i know um, i look at it this way i once went to speak at lincoln university uh, the university that famously named Azikiwe Zik of Africa and Kwame Nkrumah attended. And when I arrived there, I found out that uh, the then governor of uh, Bayelsa State, um, Timpri, uh, uh, Silva. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, not Silva, but uh, 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 Seriaki uh, D- Dixon, Dixon, yeah. um, had. Um, a pact and arrangement with the university to to bring uh, quote unquote some uh, bright students <laughs> from uh, Bayelsa State uh, to study at the university because he'd endowed um, a kind of scholarship. In fact, uh, it was strange that um, uh, I arrived and they, 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 um, one of the university officials who was arranging, who had arranged my accommodation kept apologizing to me and she kept saying, you know, I want you to know that I had nothing to do with deciding where you're going to uh, uh, stay. 
And uh, so I'm wondering, wow, maybe they put me in a terrible hotel. <laughs> and then finally she brings me to this uh, building and we walk down the hall and at the end of the hall, I look at the door and here was the governor's picture, Syriac Dixon's picture, mm -hmm. uh, staring at me. And so the, the, this governor had apparently uh, provided money from Bielsa State for, the, for this For building, the American University. For Lincoln. an American <laughs> University. And then this was a kind of his personal private uh, uh, lodge when he visited the university. Anytime you visit. And I walked into that room and I was scandalized. Everything was all gold colored, but very tacky and very, in a very gawky, inelegant uh you know, a low taste kind of way, you know, but everything was, you know, colored gold. <sighs> so I took a deep breath and this, this university official kept saying to me, I want you to know I had, it wasn't my decision, but you know, somebody <laughs> felt that this is the best place for you to stay. This is the first time I'm telling the story. And so I, so I learned about all these students who were from Bayelsa State. So they were supposed to be gifted students. So academically gifted students from Bielsa State. But I quickly found out from talking to some of those students that they were indeed the sons and daughters of top uh, politically connected people in, in, in Bielsa State who were sent there. Welcome to Nigeria. So when it came time for me to speak, I said, okay, I could rail against the students, I could shame them, but I decided to take a different tag. So what I did was to tell the students, <clears throat> I said, your parents and people of your parents' generation have ruined Nigeria. And I said, and they have ruined it for themselves but also for you. I said, most of you are never going to want to go back to Nigeria. If you go back to Nigeria, it will now be on visits because your parents and members of their generation have made the country uh, inhospitable to human uh, aspirations. So I said, I don't want to blame the criminality of your parents, the great failures of, of your parents on you. I said, but you have, whether you like it or not, inherited a historical responsibility to atone for the sins of your parents, to make it right. I said, so get the best education you can, retain a consciousness of Nigeria, so want to be invested in changing Nigeria. But um, I want you to know that in doing it, you must, as a first step, recognize that your parents did a terrible, if not tragic, job. Okay? So I, you know, the, this government official, this uh, university official later was saying to me, oh, you know, you're going to put me in trouble. You know, uh, if, I, if, if it is known that I was the one shepherding you, I'll be in big, big trouble. 
I'm sure that uh, she said you spoke eloquently to these students. You spoke uh, in a very prudent way even, given the scale of their parents' treasury. Uh, but she said, I suspect that the message they're going to send home to the governor and to their parents is that, do you know that the university sent some Nigerian to come and start talking nonsense here? Okay. But I said, well, I could have actually been harder on the students. I could have accused them of being beneficiaries of, uh, of, of a fraud perpetrated on the people of Bayelsa State because the scholarships to send students to the university was supposed to be for academically gifted students. This is not to suggest that some of those students whose parents were privileged were not academically gifted. But at least in talking to a few of them before my talk, I did not get a sense that there was anybody who didn't have high political connection who somehow managed to make it. And so, and that's how, again, a way of getting to uh, the scale of, of the destruction of a country. Because Nigeria is a country, I've, this is a phrase that um, I, I've used for years, that Nigeria is a country that was conceived in hope. At independence, there was a sense of hope in the breasts of Nigerians. So that nation, uh, at least when we struggle, when we were struggling for independence, there was a sense that we could create a country that would rise to uh, at least the mid-brow um, levels of economic development. But what we have is a country conceived in hope but since nurtured, mostly by its leaders, but by no means exclusively by them, but mostly by its leaders, into a state of hopelessness. And so, um, you go to Nigeria, and you see that there's, 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 a, there, there's a story that somebody told me about a government official. And I felt so profoundly sad for the government official in question. This man was in government and decided that one of the things he must do was not only to build an opulent home for himself, but to build homes for each of his children. Wow. So it, it's, it's this kind of thing that if somebody had half a brain, would occur to the person to be particularly idiotic. All right? Who tells you that your children will like the, your, your sense, your architectural sense <laughs> of a home for them, right? Very true. So instead of giving these kids tools to succeed, uh, educational tools, you... Um, you you give them uh, you build them homes which they may not want um, and and you've created a country in building them these homes you've created a country that is so unsafe that perhaps your children won't ever because you know a lot of them send their kids 
abroad for, for, for to, to go to school. Um, when the kids come back into the country, they'll find themselves so uprooted and so dislocated that a lot of them won't want to be uh, in the country to start with. And yes, what you said is true, that a lot of these people uh, who have done this grave injustice uh, to their own children, but to the generality of Nigerians, are people who had it easy, who benefited from free education, from free healthcare, from bursaries. You know, I remember uh, that even part of when I went to college in Nigeria, we got bursaries from state government. You know, um, uh, uh, for our education, uh, we had food that was good in in our cafeterias and so on. So we ate well. Uh, when you see what goes for food on any university campus in Nigeria today, it's, it's heartrending. Yeah, imagine that, man. And we're not talking about like, because I remember even when I went to, uh, when I started college in Nigeria, I was like, people were getting bursaries, but it wasn't, there was, there's a difference mm -hmm. to what was in the 70s, yes. um, 60s, 50s. Um, oh, in the 60s, if, if you were a college uh, university graduate, there were jobs waiting for I, you. I, and uh, your first week or, or so, even up to the 70s, yeah. early 70s, your first week of, uh, of employment, you had a car. Yeah, you yeah. know, a car loan, and you could walk to a car dealership and pick the car of your choice. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, these are things that are inconceivable. And because we have destroyed... The, uh, the system, the structure that made these uh, benefits available. Um, I suspect, in fact, I believe firmly that this is one reason why corruption is so uh, embedded in our system, okay? Because for a young graduate, even with a good job to afford a car, today in Nigeria, he has to save all of that money. Uh, no car dealerships, uh, you know, giving you cars on high, on, uh, on, on, on um, uh, you know, you can't get car loans and so on. You can't get uh, mortgage loans to build a home. And so, uh, so when you see the, the uh, level of corruption that people must engage in, in order to get themselves things that are otherwise necessities for middle class people mm -hmm. elsewhere in the world uh, this is part of the destruction uh, and I think that that destruction accelerated once the military seized power after 1983 yeah well I, I think it was always there I think that deceleration was there um, I think it's always when you read back into it I, I, I just I think the population explosion has exposed mm. um keeps keeps on exposing the reality of the Nigerian state um, it just keeps on the 80s um, most of those buzzeries whatever the real substantive buzzeries not somebody giving you um, you know um, money for dinner mm -hmm. which is why I called back back in the <laughs> back in the 2000s or it felt like money for I'm sure there's still some things there but by and large back in the day was everybody so it was like everybody was getting because I mean the stories are there 
I talk about, I always tell people, my mom went to nursing school in uh, University of Lagos, came out, uh, job, car loan. And we're not talking of a car loan that you even pay off that long. It was just mm -hmm. like, you know, a short uh, couple months, you pay off the car loan. Mm -hmm. My dad, the same thing, came, comes out, he gets a housing loan, um, which he decides to go buy. In fact, that's even another very interesting family story because mm -hmm. a lot of, he decides to buy a, buy a, a an apartment, a house, um, um, four family, well, not family, you know, you know the house with apartments in in Inugu and all that, and leave it for uh, to help his family and mm -hmm. brothers and stuff. Um, you know, but uh, anyway, that ends up being um, it, it ends up being one of one of so many um, uh, till tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So even even within my family, because that's a different case. I talk if I talk in the micro way in terms of my dad, the way he tried to help out his own family as well you still end up with uh tension and tension complex. generational yes. till, even till tomorrow That's right. that gesture in 19 i think he bought that house in he got that house in 74 and while a lot of his because i always felt like it's only not when i went back to read and understand how those housing loans the doji awards mm. all those all those things how they mm. went about i always felt like oh um you know my dad you know had to maybe buy the house in this thing and leave it for family and all that to help out which he never like he helped out he never took the rent he never spoke about it which is cool but you know it also created this a, a distance in the family as well long term especially as things got, kept getting worse people ended up relying on it and i think I, I was the one that had to go get the papers back from my father's relatives because um, there was during the tenure of um, Chimaroki and Namani, mm -hmm. he now started allocating people's lands to people. Mm. So he allocated my father's backyard <laughs> <laughs> to somebody, somebody else. And, you know, my father's relatives didn't want to pay for it. When they realized how much the legal cost would be, they didn't want to pay for it. And that was how I ended up uh, this time. And most of them don't even, either they don't know or they don't, uh, they don't want to accept because if you have. I guess that property was with my father's family for um, almost 30 years. And he never got any rent or anything. Yeah. From, which he, you know, it was fine. That's between him and his people. He wanted to do that. That was fine. Mm -hmm. But it also ends up creating, a, it, it, because of his quietness about it, ended up creating the wrong impression moving forward, which is something within my family we are still battling till tomorrow. Mm -hmm. People don't understand the reality of that place. Like my, A lot of my classmates, when I went to secondary school, a good number of them, their fathers had the same kind of which I the people from the Yoruba ones that this thing. A lot of them kind of like either had already seen that kind of friction in their families or mm. had the foresight, so they went to London to buy their own apartments. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you. So I have a lot of friends. Like if I yes. go to London, I, I call some of my friends up. You know, they know themselves. I'm like, yo, yeah, because I think a lot of some of them, um, the fathers have passed as well. That is there the Airbnb now and stuff like that? I'm like, yo, is your apartment free? Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no, but they have it there still till tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But my dad went, you know, and it's just to tell you just how much, um, without stealing a dime, mm -hmm. what people were able to we're do. Able then. To do, yeah. You know, even though he was in Lagos, he when he got married, he wasn't married at that point in time. In the early 70s, he got married. They got married in December of 75. Uh, took them a while to have kids. Um, but when he got married, he was he had a roommate. Um, in a three bedroom apartment, they had a roommate. Even when they had my sister, years later, they were still there. It wasn't until they had me in the eighties then 
they, they moved before they had me mm-hmm. um but um yeah so so it's 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 it, it just it's i'm just trying to i'll keep drawing those contracts maybe that's not mm-hmm. the best way to draw it but try to draw that contrast to how um socialistic and how family oriented those policies were in the 50s mm-hmm. and in the 60s there were you know policies to try and uh help people get to school uh make sure there was there were there were jobs because you know um a lot of those jobs were um jobs that the the british were doing were were doing and were getting paid way more mm-hmm. but you know the nigerians coming out some of them were being created and, and things like that but the nigerians coming in um but i think if you read the term i love to use is that when you read um uh matthew heaton's a history of nigeria they love using that term the rentier states mm-hmm. and i really love using that term too mm-hmm. i think nigeria was always set up to be a rentier, a rentier state, state yeah. and without solid leadership like you've alluded to without good which we've which has never had if to me even average leadership no. it's never ever had no. average you know sky's the limit mm-hmm. no nigeria has had uh leadership has always been uh mediocre um and which is one of the paradoxes of 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 this country um wherever i travel and i do a fair amount of traveling around the world um people are just uh amazed even stunned that a country that has produced some of the best writers in the world uh, in, uh, produced uh, great neurosurgeons and scientists and engineers and hi- historians and journalists and so on that this same country will somehow continue to flirt um, repeatedly with just the most atrocious, morally reprehensible, intellectually deficient uh, segment of their population uh, in leadership positions at every level, from the presidency down to the local government. Okay? And that's part of the paradox of of our country. Um, And I think again as a writer as a novelist i often go back to um uh to fiction to situate nigeria so there's this moment in chino achebe's novel no longer at ease where obiokonkwo the protagonist uh, of the novel is being found guilty of corruption you know um he'd um accepted a bribe uh, to give a job and Omorphia Progressive Union Lagos branch meets to discuss this uh, what they see as a terrible augury for, for the community because they had paid to send uh, Obiokonkwo to, 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 to England uh, hoping that he would study law but out of his uh, self-will he studies uh the class english and the classics uh one of several ways in which he uh disavows his community but the community gets together and an elder in praying uh the traditional prayer 
says we are strangers in this land. Now this is Lagos, which at that point was the capital of what has become Nigeria. But the elder says we are strangers in this land. If good comes to it, let us have our share. But if bad comes to it, if bad comes to it, let it go to the owners of the land who know which gods are to be appeased. <laughs> okay? So it struck me that here were Nigerians calling a part of Nigeria strange land, no man's land, or land that belongs to somebody else. We are here only to make money. If good comes to it, we want to have our share. But if the land is messed up, hey, it's none of our business. The owners of the land should figure out which gods they need to appease. And in a broader sense, that is the way in which Nigerian leaders, the broader elite in Nigeria, and indeed, most Nigerians have come to see their country. We, um, if, if, I don't know, uh, again, maybe you were conscious uh, uh, at, at the point when this was happening, but I remember in the 80s and 90s when the, the president of the country, whether it was military or civilian, came to visit any state uh, in reading an address of welcome, the community or the state will plead with the visiting uh, big man, president, uh, <laughs> that we need our share of the national cake. And so, so we have a country that we've seen as a cake and we've eaten that country to death. So Nigerians, instead of seeing their country, even as a cake that you are baking, you want to bake a larger and larger cake so that you are eating a little bit of it. That's how what sustains a nation. So that you have an eye to the future. The, our children will wake up and they will want to eat. They are going to grow up and have children. Those children need to feed. But Nigerians just had this sense that we already have a cake. Let's eat it. So everybody comes to the table saying, I want my share of the national cake. Not, I want to contribute in baking a larger cake and so this metaphor both of the strangeness the foreignness the alienness of parts of nigeria where people are living but they don't see themselves invested in an interior and vital and powerful way um, and also the metaphor of a cake that we have to eat um, that perhaps uh, explains, in my view, the tragedy in progress that that is Nigeria. Hmm. It's always, it's always. I'd always say, I think people, you know, you get back to you, go, you get back to. I know people feel like oh, it got worse. I know you you said it, you know, once the military came back in the eighties. I just look back at um, it on a spectrum. The moment yeah yeah that, that's actually the argument i yeah. was making right. i didn't say that things began to fall apart when the military came i said it accelerated okay. so right. nigeria from the very beginning was in unfortunate uh, in its leadership from the very moment of its founding but i think that there was a particular acceleration to that process of internal implosion of the country 
when Buhari took over, I mean, when Babangida took over. I think that Babangida was a catalyst <laughs> for uh, the, 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 the almost absolute unrecognizability. Institutionalization of, of, yes, of absolute of corruption, corruption to the core. Abs absolutely. It became and, numb. And he did such a great job that right. in an interview, uh, by the way, now I was the one who named him Maradona. In that, yes, I was the one who named him Maradona. Wow, that, in, why, in, why does he ever speak yeah, to me? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so it's like... Um, why, didn't you, why, it, why didn't you name him um, uh, somebody that would have died? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Well, <laughs> well in, no, in, in 1986, yeah. a, year Maradona after, was, uh, a year after he came to office, Maradona had dazzled the world at the World Cup. With that hand of God goal in Precisely. <laughs> and so, and so, so I was looking at Babangida as military president. He called himself president. Yes. Other, other military leaders before him were heads of state. Heads of state, exactly. He came up with the term president, and I think that that was deliberate from, because from the very moment he wanted to blur the lines between this military-ness, uh, the military uh, regime that he headed, and he wanted to sort of... Uh, bleed himself almost seamlessly into a, a into uh, a civilian uh, president. Anyway, he, so he, he wanted to ascribe um, democratic ethos yes, yes. to himself, even or, though or, he was or, one of the most brutal. Exactly, authority brutal, from the people. Yes, like the people precise, gave him the authority. Yes, as, as, you know, I'm a man of the people. The people love me so much, and uh, you know, so this chat, you know, this charisma that you know, yeah. the, the uh, to, uh, gap tooth. Uh, general and so on. Mm -hmm. So here I was x-raying his government on his first anniversary in 1986. And uh, it struck me that there was a part of him that was aspiring toward the Maradona mystique, that he wanted to be as popular, Even as, as, as adored, yes, as Maradona, as Maradona the Argentine great uh, 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 football um, a genius. But I said that the Argentinian player, I said, so what I said was that Babangida, like Maradona, loves to dribble. I said that, but unlike the Argentinian player who dribbles or dribbled in order to go score, the, Babing, the Babangida stayed in the midfield and just dribbles and dribbles <laughs> for the sake of it and sometimes will dribble himself as well. So, <laughs> yeah, we have to get, we got it. We have to get, have to get the article. Yeah, I'll I have to. I have to look very. I wish if, we archived stuff fact, in that country. Fact, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, um, in fact, it should be available because um, my publisher in Nigeria is uh, intends to do um, a selection of my um, my best columns over the years that I've written. Yeah, we got we got to put that out as evidence to people, man. Yes, yes. and so and so and so he. Uh, got the librarian at the Guardian newspaper where I worked at the time to give him um, uh, to go through the archives and uh, you know uh, give him a digital copy of all the columns I've written. So it's with my publisher. In fact, I should ask them uh, to provide it and so on. So, so I was I was responsible for naming this guy Maradona and this uh, you know taking up a, a life of his own and a lot of people. Uh, don't know the uh, the provenance of the name, and they don't know that I gave him the name, uh, not in a positive way, but in a very negative way. You know, so there was that compulsion in him that 
aspiration to be seen as as a maestro, you know, in the same <laughs> in the same uh, vein as Maradona, the football player. Uh, but um, as I said, there was no purpose, there was no goal, there was no focus to his dribbling. He simply loved to drib dribble himself. And you know, if you remember in those days, um, Babangida would face a serious issue, and the first thing he would do would be to appoint a committee to look at the issue. Then the committee would take their merry time and give him a report. Then he would set up another committee to look at the report of that first committee and they will take their maritime <laughs> and then provide a, uh, a report and then you will provide another internal government committee to look at this uh, <laughs> audited report uh, you know with a view to giving him distilling a white paper and of course by the time the white paper was issued everything was moot and people will forget and so on and so People forth. forget. I yeah. think. I think if you go back in history, I mean, this is so funny. Um, if you go back in, in fact, first is first. If you go back to the historical uh, listing about how the name came about, I've forgotten his name. Uh, the major that was um, his um, public relations person and um, his other public relations person. They said the speech was drawn up in the car. He tears up the distance. He's like, yeah, not head of state president. Mm -hmm. The this was his first speech. Yes. He knew already. That was the first thing about him. But you go back, either you see the, one of the one of the major um, distance, the 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 booty kiwi thing, and the um, um, IMF loan, which mm -hmm. was part of the reasons he gave for for, for overthrowing Buhari was right. was IMF mm -hmm. uh, loan mm -hmm. that this guy didn't want to set the IMF mm -hmm. loan. Nigeria is starving, blah blah blah, and then he goes in, and then you know he doesn't do it, he doesn't take it. You know, he now yeah, has his Carlo Di Cacalo mm -hmm. drop, which is even more draconian. Draconian. <laughs> and then yeah. all the while... Structural adjustment program. It, it, all the while, this guy is having all these committees, having these conversations, mm -hmm. and these discussions. <laughs> and it's and, like... <laughs> and, and always, always, he, he would know what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just that part of that dribbling, you know. So he's dribbling to... Uh, so that Nigerians, his his opponents will be confounded, and then he springs that that surprise, which often is just something that was terrible uh, for the country. Yeah, I t I tell people that sorry sorry cut you there, but I tell people that people always talk people that that have heard about the OIC thing and longer story, uh, you know, we we but longer story about the OIC thing, which we'll get into in other episodes. But people always feel like it's the OIC thing that got. Ubuti Kiwi out or Ubuti Kiwi. I'm like, no, it's not the OIC thing in itself. Mm -hmm. The problem was that this man dribbled everybody. Mm -hmm. And then when he was just like you were saying, behind that, he, he already knew what he wanted. So behind him, he had already sent. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the press found out. Mm -hmm. And then they accosted Ubuti Kiwi. Kiwi is like, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what this yeah, is. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> and Sanya Abacha, who never wanted uh, Ubuti Kiwi, some could say, uh, this was a, also a another man. In command, yeah. Uh, you know, I, for most military accounts, you read the books. Um, uh, Omar Oru, yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't pronounce his name. Or he just passed early this year. Uh, and Max Iolu's book on on this distance. You know, from most accounts, you'd see Abacha was always had been somebody who was an active participant in mutinizing in '66 against what he felt were the Igbos and and all. Mm -hmm. that. But anyway, that was 
that might have been miscalculations when he went after Ubuti. But the point is, what the the, the way Ubuti Ki was number two mm-hmm. in the administration was accosted. Yes. And but, he said, I don't know about about this like, conversation at all. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. If I it was like, no, 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 this this is this is not happening. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. by, you know, it's not been discussed. And I according mm-hmm. to the reports, you know, I, the point is even his number two, even though he had this is kitchen cabinet, his Maradona boys, David Mack, those that don't know, all these people were all part of this Maradona crew mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's it's confounding that we still uh sit down and um recycle mm-hmm. these people either directly or yeah. their lack of lights even yeah. till tomorrow yeah. it's it's that which is why i feel um deep regret that um uh that you know there has been this absence of political consciousness political education in nigeria um I know that you you do keep up with the literature, but too few uh, Nigerians, especially too few young young men and women, uh, take the time to read the books. First of all, there are not enough books being written I by, agree. by historians, by political scientists, to 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 do uh, the kind of analysis that ought to be done about. They, 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 they just the internal uh, destruction of, of this political Nigeria uh, and the, the personalities that have contributed to this uh, very um, perfidious project. Uh, but even the few books that are out there, um, too many Nigerians have no sense of the history of their country. Uh, so, so when people we're expecting great things uh, from somebody like uh, Buhari. <laughs> um, when people were proposing that Buhari was change, yeah, you know, it, it was it was um, it was painful. It was painful to see, uh, but part of it is this absence of historical uh, context. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, so I mean, on that on that distance, we're going to. Um, uh, you know that so 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 the question is um how you possibly see um this the impact this would this might have on um what they call it on the political future the immediate political future we're looking at the next 18 months hmm. um are you talking about NSAs or NSAs will it on hmm. will it be a galvanizing force that actually gets real political change not just what some um political um um freeloaders mm-hmm. are going to brand themselves which a lot of them are like i said i go i go on clubhouse i see a lot of political actors on clubhouse who i think realize where the um realize where the energy is mm-hmm. and are trying to attach themselves to that energy mm-hmm. as a branding exercise to perpetuate themselves what they've been doing already I'm, and again <laughs> i'm not calling yeah. but a lot of them are big some of them are upcoming some mm-hmm. of them are unknown quantities mm-hmm. but i just get the the feeling and in some cases factual this thing yeah. that um you know that might be the case but um is it going to be different do you, do you see do you see i mean a difference well, um my hope is um is that 
the youth in Nigeria recognize how close they came to changing in a profound way the social and political conversation in our country. They came this close, all right? Uh, which was what frightened the government and led to this decision to to dispirit the students by brutally ending uh, to, to dispirit the youth by brutally ending the, uh, this this uh, uh, their movement. So the politicians are already ahead of the curve. Okay, trust me, they are working sleeplessly to ensure that they are raising that galvanization of uh, the uh, vestigial forces from from a year ago okay uh, they as we speak uh, they, um, I, I won't be surprised if they are already inserting themselves into empowering some reprobate young people and you can always find them for hire anywhere to create this illusion that what's so important is are these um, ethnic and religious differences, you know? Um, so already the conversation is about, is the presidency going to go to the Yoruba or to the House of Fulani or to the Igbo? And I tell people, I've always told people, that this conversation, which has uh, a, a kind of um, uh, a sense of, necessity in Nigeria is is a, an absolute distraction okay I'm Igbo and I've said it before and I'm not afraid of saying it I'm Igbo but if you give me any day uh, uh, an ethic a Yoruba a Fulani person who is going to change um, the the um, Ensure that there is a sense of security in Nigeria. Uh, ensure that uh, basic infrastructure are available in Nigeria. That there, there will be a sense of health care in the country. I will vote for that candidate like a million times over an Igbo candidate who would not do the same thing. Okay? So the whole idea, uh, which is again, you know, when the Yoruba made a bit of noise over June 12th. So the ruling cabal in Nigeria decided, okay, we're going to make a Yoruba person president, but it's a Yoruba person of our own ch choice. And so they true. brought a totally disastrous Obasanjo. And I once had an interview on, on um, uh, AIT television, Kakaki, and I told them that Obasanjo was a disaster and not a disaster for Igbo people, not a disaster for the Jaw and the you know Hausa and the Kanuri and so on. I said Obasanjo was a disaster for everybody in Nigeria, including for Obasanjo himself. It was a disaster for himself. Okay. So my hope is, first of all, that the young people in Nigeria would have um, a resilient memory of what happened that they will not easily forget the energy, the wonderful energy that they brought to the table. The way in which they refused to be sundered along ethnic and religious lines. But also that they would remember, have a long memory of the hurt that's been imposed on them 
not just by the way that the Buhari regime brutally put down their movement, but indeed by all the previous leaders in Nigeria. I, in fact, I made a mistake. I don't call them leaders. All the previous misrulers in Nigeria. Um, so don't forget. And I also want them to know that the coin of religion and ethnicity and statism that is offered to them is a fake coin, is fake currency. So if you believe that this terrible candidate is the person to vote for, or this terrible party is the party to support because they, uh, they brought out the candidate from your home state, from your local government, from your ethnic group, from your religious group, you are simply cooperating in your own continued um, uh, destruction. So, what young people should, should emphasize above everything else is um, that they want an issue-driven election. So, none of these... Uh, fatuous praises where politicians said, say, oh, we're going to move the state or the nation forward. What does it mean? Sometimes what you need to do is actually to stop moving forward. If there's a, a huge chasm that they, they, this vehicle you are moving forward is going to fall into. If there's a precipice, you want to stop and reverse, not move forward. They should not accept this whole thing about is it's it's God that gives power. No, God does not give power. Voters vote in elections and they decide who their leaders are. Okay? Which is why sometimes you find atheists winning elections and even becoming great leaders. Okay? So reject all these path phrases. Reject the laziness of if you vote for me, I'm going to deliver the dividends of democracy which Obasanjo put in his inaugural uh, address, and everybody picked it up and thought, oh, this is a massive and impressive phrase, okay? Ask questions of politicians, of political parties. What exactly are you going to do for us? Spell it out, okay? And not only spell out your goals, but also spell out how you are going to meet those goals. So rigor, consistency, uh, commitment, intelligence should be what young people look for in political parties and candidates. So young people are often um, amazed when they look at an Obama who was president of America or they look at Macron in France and they say, oh, look at how young and impressive and well-spoken they are. Guess what? You can recreate an Obama in Nigeria. You can recreate a Macron in Nigeria. But sadly, when such candidates come up, Nigerians are the first to, especially young people, to say, oh, this candidate doesn't have what it takes. And you say to them, what does it take? They say, structure. I say, what is structure? Money. And the politicians you ascribe structure to are politicians who have stolen your money. So you say, they have the structure. So let me allow them to continue to steal my future. Okay? So the other thing that um, I think that 
is important uh, for any candidate who is serious-minded to finally um, lay it out on the table for, uh, for, for young people. The focus should be on youth, okay? If you are serious in Nigeria, your focus should be on youth. So I have advised some of my friends who are otherwise exciting uh, candidates in terms of their uh, education, in terms of their exposure, and who have political ambition. I say to them, the graphics, they um, don't look good when you are seen uh, taking pictures with Basanjo and with Danjuma and with uh, Buhari and with uh, Babangida and so on. Those are actually those who have placed this country in the terrible, dire straits that is found itself. So if you're going to uh, represent a departure from that kind of leadership, then you need to come out and speak directly to those whose futures are at stake, in fact, whose present is in contention, and that's the youth in the country. That sounds really good. Really going to, um, there's definitely going to be impact. I see a lot of it building. Like I say, I love um, going on um, social media page, uh, mm -hmm. pages, Twitter and Clubhouse to see, to, to feel the vibe. Um, you know, I I feel like there are just there's something you said that I think is crit is this thing. These guys saw the impact. Mm -hmm. They're scared. Mm -hmm. um, they resorted to uh, lethal violence mm -hmm. because unfortunately Nigeria as well, the state has the sole monopoly of violence yep. in the country. That's right. And um, people say, I say, go back to history, read your history books. Mm -hmm. Prior to the coming of the British. Mm -hmm. Um, places like Ebolan were heav heavily armed. Mm -hmm. And I said that to one list that people like, ah, you know, and I said, I get it, man. If, mm -hmm. if people start having arms in the country, which, by the way, from what I understand, from a legal perspective, you're allowed to own a handgun in the country. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to be in the country and own your den guns, which almost every Igbo household I know yeah. till tomorrow has a den gun in the house. Mm -hmm. The problem is not you're, you're allowed, is that you don't even have... Mm -hmm. Um, places to buy mm -hmm. those kind of things you have that's to right. get it legally across you know mm -hmm. but that's a different this thing but you know it's 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 uh, you, you see the fear you saw the lethality of the violence that that took place and nobody no you know no acceptance for anything just mm -hmm. some some politicians moving around and trying to harness that in a state like lagos with the amount of people you have there you have more of um, an imperative to try and at least um, deliver look like you're working so mm -hmm. you know that that was part of it in Lagos mm -hmm. but overall you see these guys slipping into places I see people who I feel like even on social media spaces I do feel in my opinion that either you have the government paying people to go into these places and ferment mm -hmm. um, uh, division and, and misinformation and all these things mm -hmm. government agents who knows who they might be either the government directly from the top or government agents i don't know i don't have any proof to that this thing but i do feel like there is some level of government funding of certain individuals or these individuals are just so in love and so blinded to the government that it's 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 either one or the two and i and i think with the amount of these individuals i consistently run into either on social media pages private whatsapp chat groups other places i lean towards 
a lot of is these guys. Is that coordination? Coordination. This, this is like, this is like, are you people serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it, it looks like that is going to be the trending thing um, moving um, um, forward. Um, and, you know, we saw, I saw it, uh, I think, two weeks ago. Um, 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 what they call him um, last year John Oliver had this piece of um, what's on, on social media instant, in, instant messaging mm-hmm. and the amount of disinformation and damage those things can do so the mm-hmm. same way not just on instant messaging I see a lot of these things becoming trends mm-hmm. I see a lot of these people a lot of people moving into these political spaces um, I see the cabal I don't even call them a cabal. They're not really cabal, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I see these neo-colonialists, mm-hmm. these bad actors that have been in, you know, some of them having the dividends of what they've done. I saw a Theophilus Danjuma mm-hmm. calling out in some video the other day, and I'm like, um, does this man have a mirror somewhere? Mm-hmm. Or is he too old to recognize himself for mm-hmm. <laughs> this mirror? Um, you know, he should probably pick up um, uh, and go find out his role mm-hmm. in killing people, mm-hmm. murdering people, and leading the con- helping lead the country down this way. Not just mm-hmm. him, him and his court. Yes. And then now you're seeing the dividends and you're telling your people mm-hmm. uh, are getting slaughtered by lack mm-hmm. of uh, this thing, which is the poli- which is the, the headsmen, majority of which are, the, are, are Fulani, by the way, but they are headsmen. Mm-hmm. And I feel personally it's a political issue. Mm-hmm. It's not a um, ethno-religious issue per se. Mm-hmm. I feel it's a political issue, not helped. Uh, one of the many political disa- dangerous issues you have in Nigeria, but not helped by the dynamics of Ibuhari in power. But you know, the guy that comes next is going to, but the person that comes next is going to have their blind spots probably, mm-hmm. which is what they are looking for. Which is also going to be disastrous. Obasanjo was disastrous in his own way, mm-hmm. with so much goodwill mm-hmm. attached to him. He was massively disastrous. Good luck, yeah. you name it. Everybody, go backwards, go backwards. Mm-hmm. They were all disastrous. So, um, I see that playing a role in um, in in the, the polity, mm-hmm. um, except in some way there is a a a sort of revolution. When I say revolution, I don't mean it's in a violent term necessarily mm-hmm. I, I i just see the needs that it as is mm-hmm. is only going to produce somebody that's worse mm. <laughs> yeah well um uh, the the system is rigged to to produce uh an ever worsening um uh cast of characters um because there's something almost um, there's something devious. It's not even almost devious in the power calculations in Nigeria. It's like every person who's been governor uh, in Nigeria uh, wants to put in, or not every, I mean many people who have been governors in Nigeria want to empower a successor uh, who is almost calculated to be worse than they were, okay? Um, And I think part of this is to then have this successor be such a venal criminal that people will forget what you, the predecessor, did. Um, That's one. But the other calculation is that this person who is worse 
then has an investment in protecting you, in not, in not exposing what his uh, success, his predecessor did. Uh, and we find the same trend. When Obasanjo was denied a third term, which he obviously desperately wanted, spent billions and billions of naira bribing uh, legislators to, to approve this constitutional amendment so he could continue in office. When he saw that that gambit had failed, what did he do? He said, okay, I'm going to impose a Yaradua. <laughs> and he knew that Yaradua was seriously, gravely sick. I'm going to put him in office. And uh, part of it is that he will be too busy minding his health to even do the minimal things that a, a, a president should do. So Nigerians are going to say, hey, if only we had a passenger, things were moving. But then he puts a paired uh, Yaradua, and Obasanjo was an imperial president. He could have chosen any two uh, people as candidates of, of the PDP. He yeah. chose Yaradua, and he chose Jonathan, uh, Abele Goodluck Jonathan, mm -hmm. um, who for all his niceness simply is not an impressive political figure. Uh, somebody who couldn't even rein in his wife's excesses. Kant has no business running a nation. Um, and of course, Obasanjo then had a hand uh, in selling us Buhari, you know, and, and then he's the first to, to take the podium and condemn them. Oh, they are not doing well. Uh, guess do, what? You, you do know that, that that has been his MO. That has been his yeah, yeah, you know, So look at this person. <laughs> oh, he's not doing well. And he assumes, he presumes on his uh, ability, on his <laughs> qualification to, to, to judge his, his uh, successors. Yeah. Uh, because he thinks in his mind that he is, you know, you know how he rigged, called some clowns in the PDP to name him founder of modern Nigeria. And I say, you know, my response, of course, is if what you left Nigeria is modern, then I will hate to see what ancient or, prim or primordial, uh, primordial uh, uh, nation would be. But so that's that's a sort of you know, nonsense. That's, that's exactly what he did with Shagari. Yes. Shagari complained multiple over yes, the years. Precisely. And even the coup, yes. the Buhari coup. There's a pattern. The, There's they, a pattern. They, they, came, they got it from him. When Babangida left office, again, when Nigerians would not let Babangida continue perpetually in office, mm -hmm. he retired every military officer but left Abacha. Abacha yeah. He knew Abacha would dismiss Shoneko and become president. And he knew that Nigerians were going to say, wow, we wish that Babangida had stayed on, mm -hmm. right? And that's exactly why he did it, you know? So there's this sick, sickening impulse in Nigerian leaders to to bring in somebody who would be worse than they were. And, you know, you see it more easily at the state levels also. You know, you see numerous states where a governor will sponsor just the most terrible, morally, uh, 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 morally deficient uh, person uh, to, to, to succeed him. And, and people will say, wow, the governor that we hated, in fact, we, we now wish the governor had continued in office. Anyway, but the, 
the bad actors, and this is this is a good a good a good way to describe them. The bad actors are are working day and night to sustain a Nigeria that works for them, continues to enrich them, even as it destroys the lives of the vast majority of Nigerians. So they're working hard. The thing is that those of us who are enlightened, who oppose them, should bring our A-plus game in order to confront them because there are too few of them. And so it will be easy, relatively easy, with a little work to get the young people to have their eyes on the prize. Now, there is a point that we haven't made, which maybe we can make a, a different podcast, mm-hmm. the constitutional question, because Nigeria operates a constitution that is a fraud to start with. It begins that we the people. <laughs> so we know that no people discuss that constitution. Nigeria doesn't have a constitution to speak of. Yeah. So uh, whatever leader you have, there is um, an asymmetry between the states and the center. Ultimately, Nigeria must go to a system, which I'm sure most Nigerians will approve this, where most of the power, apart from the powers of war and of, uh, and of uh, foreign policy and so on, and other such powers, but most of the action in a strong, vibrant federation should take place at the state level. There is no reason at all why you know, the oil-producing states should share a cobble Agreed. of their oil revenue with anybody else, any I other agree. state. If you are a state and, I'm not from an and you are not oil pro- yeah, I'm not from an oil producing <laughs> state as such, but if you are a state and you cannot produce enough from the resources of your people, from your natural resources, from the ingenuity of your leadership and of your people, if you can't produce enough to sustain yourself, then ask to be dissolved as a state and be absorbed into another state that knows what they're doing. Because it doesn't make sense that we have 36 states in Nigeria, and most of them are not viable. Rent most of states. them, they rent your states. So they, they, they are waiting, okay, wait, we're going to Abuja <laughs> to get money. You know, the whole thing is a joke, okay? So we need a fundamental constitutional uh, uh, revamp of the country, but that's another con- conversation. The immediate conversation we have now is what happens in 2023 and indeed what happens in Anambra State in just two weeks. Oh, it's two weeks. All right. Okay. Well, well, we'll see about that. Uh, we'll probably continue with that next week. Yes. Um, but uh, your closing thoughts? So, Well, um, it's. I think that has been a very um, uh, vigorous uh, it, uh, and indeed enlightening um, conversation. Um, um, the 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 NSAS movement, whose first year anniversary we are celebrate, we we are marking. We are not celebrating it necessarily because of the way it ended. Um, we I expect and I hope that it's going to be a seed that will germinate into some kind of revolutionary impetus in Nigeria 
that young people will use it as a moment to recognize both what is possible, but also the character of the bad actors who have been ruining lives in Nigeria. Okay, to recognize that you have within you the potential. Just look at the sheer number that more than 60% of the country is under 30 years old. So you have numerically the numbers in, in your favor. So what young people in Nigeria decide to do will actually dictate the way that the country goes. If they harness, if they harness this energy that they have and also harness the vision, this exposure to the world of information through the internet. So young people will know a range of what's possible in the world in a way that Nigeria's leaders, these gerontocrats who have misled, misled the country, do not know that world. Uh, but also have a long memory. Don't forget what they have done to you, how they have tried to ruin your future. And don't settle for peanuts when you have you can have it all, when you can be at the table and have political leaders who respond to you and who are answerable to you. So I hope that uh, those who have listened to us this week will take away um, um, this conviction that as bad as Nigeria is, they have something within themselves to become agents for change. And um, so I thank everybody again for listening uh, to this podcast. And uh, uh, please do tell your friends, tell your relatives, uh, tell especially young people to tune in and get off their um, distractions and, um, you know, all you know all the games that you play and so on just get up a minute and just spend an hour an hour and uh, 20 minutes or so uh, every week listening to to this podcast great with that said we'll definitely see you next week all right